This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, October 12, 2007. I'm Caleb Brown. If transportation planners' plans would snarl traffic and make cities less livable, then the question has to be asked, what is it that they want to achieve? Cato Institute Senior Fellow Randall O'Toole says it's simple. Planners plan for where you live and how you get to work. O'Toole is author of the new Cato book, The Best Laid Plans, How Government Planning Harms Your Quality of Life, Your Pocketbook, and Your Future. A lot of your book deals with issues that are related to Portland, Oregon, and the Pacific Northwest. Do you find in looking at planning issues around the country that it's essentially the same all over, or are there real strong differences in how planners approach uh, urban areas? I think planners everywhere want to do what Portland is doing. Uh, We saw uh, recently Congressman Jim Oberstar from Minnesota uh, tell Portlanders that they are providing the template for transportation planning for the rest of the United States. And we see planners in Minneapolis, where Jim Overstar is from, and in Denver, and in uh, various other cities around the U.S., saying, let's do what Portland is doing. Let's, let's put our money into rail transit instead of into highways. That's resulting in a lot more congestion, a lot higher tax burden, uh, and in many cases, poorer transit service, because people, instead of having a direct transit bus, from their neighborhood to downtown now have to take a bus to a light rail station and then get on a light rail and take that somewhere and then sometimes get off of that and get on a bus to go somewhere else. Uh, So it ends up making the trip a lot more complicated. What we see is that cities all over the country are trying to follow Portland's example. Uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, Seattle, uh, and uh, Houston is even building light rail and it is not working in any, any of those cities anywhere near as well as it's working in Portland and isn't working in Portland very well at all. What is the desire that drives planners to have, I guess, this dislike of the automobile, dislike of highways, and actively uh, pursuing attempts to divert funds from highways into mass transit? Well, planners' main objection to the automobile is that the automobile gives people freedom to live where they want. And most people would rather live in a single-family home on a large lot somewhere at the urban fringe than live in a condominium downtown. Now, there is a market for downtown condominiums, and there's nothing wrong with building downtown condominiums to meet the market. But the uh, polls show that 82% of Americans aspire to live in a single-family home, even if it means they're further away from jobs and and shops and transit. So... uh, Planners don't want to see those people move into those single-family homes. You look at the plans written for cities all across the country, and they say, uh, right now, two out of three people in our city live in single-family homes. We want to bring a balance, meaning we want to have half the people living in apartments instead of single-family homes in the next 20 years. Wait a minute. You're saying it's bad to live in single-family homes, and so you're going to deny people the opportunity? And the answer is yes, that's their goal. And if they can increase traffic congestion, that will discourage people from living in single-family homes because they can't get home. They'll be stuck in traffic, and so they'd rather take a a transit bus or a a light rail line that will go to a high-density condominium in some uh, uh, urban center that's located somewhere ways away from downtown. 
Uh, at least this is what the planners hope. In other words, planners believe there's a strong connection between transportation and land use. And by manipulating one, they can influence the other. It turns out that's not true at all, but this is what planners believe. They want to manipulate the way we use our land by manipulating transportation funds. How is it at all palatable for local politicians or even the public at large to hear a transportation planner actually advocate increasing congestion? Well, they don't put it that way. They say, we're giving people more choices. Congestion is going to get worse. They don't mention that they could do something about it, but they say congestion is going to get worse, but we're going to give people choices. If they don't want to be stuck in traffic, they can take our 20-mile-an-hour light rail line. And, of course, that 20 miles an hour only counts the time that you're on the light rail. It doesn't count the time that you're walking to or waiting for the light rail. Uh, but they say this is giving people a choice uh, instead of being stuck in traffic. And then they count up all the people on the light rail, and they assume that every single one of them would be driving if they weren't taking the light rail, which is not true. Most of them are bus riders, former bus riders. And they say, look, if we didn't have the light rail, this many more cars would be on the road, and so therefore we're relieving congestion. Well, they're not relieving congestion because uh, the money that was being spent on the light rail, if a fraction of it had been spent on better bus service or, uh, or other congestion relief activities, you'd get a lot more congestion relief than you do by spending billions of dollars on rail transit. What could planners do in cities around the United States to actually relieve congestion? Well, there's a, a whole range of techniques that are cost-effective in relieving congestion. Uh, they include things like traffic signal coordination, uh, taking care of bottlenecks, and uh, actually uh, uh, building new highway capacity and tolling that new capacity because congestion tolling, meaning variable price tolling, will allow people to drive on roads any time of the day or night without any congestion. But what really planners need to do if they're serious about relieving congestion, and very few of them are, is to rank all of the different activities they could do, whether it's highways or transit or ferry boats or whatever, uh, rank them all in terms of how much it costs to save an, an hour of people's time by relieving a little bit of congestion. Uh, if you do this kind of a calculation, and, and planners have the software to do it in, in every city in the country, uh, you'll find that uh, something like uh, traffic signal coordination can relieve an hour of congestion at uh, a cost of about a dollar an hour, whereas light rail transit costs anywhere from 20 to to $100 an hour of relief. Uh, other highway improvements can range anywhere from 2 to $20 an hour. Buses, bus improvements tend to cost about 6 to $10 an hour. So we have a whole range of activities. And conceivably, there might be a rail project somewhere that would be cost-effective at relieving congestion, and then I wouldn't have any objection to it. Uh, what I have an objection to is when they spend the money on the least cost-effective activities because their goal is not congestion relief, but instead of trying to manipulate people's behavior and land uses. In terms of the incentives that local officials have to push for these transit projects, the federal government, at least a few years ago, would pony up the dough to pay for construction of most of these projects, but not actually pay for uh, operating these uh, transit services. Has that changed? 
The federal government does now spend about 20% of its transit funds on operations, grants to cities for operations, and only spends about 80% on capital improvements. And that's kind of an incentive to use uh, rail transit instead of buses, because with buses, uh, more than half the cost of buses is in operations. The capital costs are very low. Uh, with transit, with rail transit, uh, 80% of the costs are capital costs, and 20% are operations. So that fits better the the federal distribution of of transit grants. However, the real incentive comes from the fact that uh, new transit construction uh, is distributed to cities based on a first-come, first-served basis, uh, whereas highway funds are distributed on a strict formula that says that uh, every state gets a certain amount of money depending on their population and, and land area. Uh, the transit funds are distributed based on who comes in with the most expensive proposal. They get the most money. So that encourages cities and public officials to come in with really expensive, ridiculous pr proposals so they can get more money they call it getting their share of the federal funds. Cato Institute Senior Fellow Randall O'Toole is author of the new Cato book, The Best Laid Plans, How Government Planning Harms Your Quality of Life, Your Pocketbook, and Your Future. This is the Cato Daily Podcast. Please be sure to check out Cato Weekly Video, which includes highlights from various Cato Institute events. They're available for download at our website, cato.org.